Pastor Lee Eklov shares this story. Almost 20 years ago, I received a letter from a young mother in my church at that time. Her name was Jan, and this is the story she wrote me. It was the end. I knew it. I could no longer fight. I sat here emotionless. I was totally alone. Others had tried to help. Doctors, nurses, parents, husband, children. But they were gone. Hours earlier, I had come to the hospital, to the emergency room on an emergency basis. I had back pain so severe that at times it dropped me to my knees. This was not my first hospital stay, she wrote. I had been sick for a long time, it seemed. First came flu-like symptoms that wouldn't go away. I battled for weeks and then months. Eventually, I was unable to even get out of bed without severe pain and vomiting. I finally sought medical help, but my faith was failing fast. Next came the tests, some painful, mostly embarrassing. Then came a kidney infection that almost stopped my much-needed surgery. It disappeared miraculously. Eventually, my gallbladder was removed. The surgery was declared a success. I was sent home. But I noticed that I still couldn't eat without getting ill. Deep within myself, I knew I was still sick. My symptoms worried, worsened. So, here I was, back in the hospital. I sat in the bathroom. It was the middle of the night. No people, no miracle, no medicine, no strength left. I was too tired to fight. I sat there, four walls surrounding me, and a bleak, monotonous bleep from my battery-operated IV filled the silence. I couldn't stop the sound of that miserable machine any more than I could control my own miserable life. So I sat there, dull, miserable, in pain with no hope. It was while I was there that I finally did hear something else. I didn't hear it with my ears, but I heard it in my spirit. I heard someone crying. And I knew, I immediately knew that it was Jesus crying for me. I was shocked, totally surprised. I didn't think he would do that for me. This experience did not leave me emotionally elated, nor did I feel a physical touch. Life was the same, except now I knew I was really not alone in this battle. Jesus cared in a way that my wildest imagination would never have hoped for or expected. Slowly I got up and shuffled back to my bed, my IV still bleeping in my ears. Life was the same, but entirely different. I believe that Jesus at that time made intercession for the, to the Father for me. When there was absolutely no one else that would help me, he cried for me. And I did recover. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about another story we know about Jesus. All summer long, we've been talking about uh, different stories from the Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about famous stories about Jesus. And today is a, is a, a famous story. It's a well-known story about Jesus and a widow's son. It's an amazing story of compassion, comfort, and completion. It's a story about Jesus raising someone from the dead. Now we all know that Jesus did miracles. He was a miracle man. He, he performed miracles. Uh, many of us know that Jesus raised people from the dead. But there is more to this story. There's more to this story than just the miracle. There is the raising of a body, yes, but there is also the healing of a heart and a soul. 
We'll get into that as we look at the story of Jesus raising the widow's son. Now, if you've got a Bible, grab it and turn to Luke chapter 7. You're going to need it in just a minute because we're going to read the Bible story from the passage together. So grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7, and that's where we are, we are today. In the beginning of Luke 7, Jesus and his disciples um, go into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a city on the Sea of Galilee, according to Luke chapter 4. Recent excavations have indicated that the city was quite large for that day, that it may have had as many as 1,500 residents. It was a large and important city in that day. It was a city where Jesus did amazing things. In Luke chapter 4, he began a ministry of teaching and healing there. He taught the people, and the Bible says that they were amazed because of the authority with which he taught. That he taught as a man with authority, and they weren't used to that. So they were amazed by his teaching. He cast a demon out of a man in the synagogue. He healed Peter's mother-in-law there. He laid hands on people and healed them from their illnesses, and he cast out many demons. The demons came out, and as they came out, they shouted, You are the Son of God! Even the demons recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Everywhere he went, the people were amazed at Jesus' power and his authority. In fact, if you read through the book of Luke, you'll see that word over and over and over again, the word amazed, or the word awe, or the word amazed, that over and over again astonished. People were just amazed at who Jesus was and amazed at what he did. Jesus was amazing still is. Well, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus returned to Capernaum. He healed the servant of a Roman centurion at the beginning of chapter 7. And it was more than just a healing, but a story of great faith as well. A pagan centurion believed that Jesus could heal his servant even from a distance. Jesus was amazed. Uh, usually the people were amazed by Jesus. Now Jesus is amazed by this pagan centurion. And he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The centurion's servant was healed at that very moment. And that brings us to our story that we're going to look at today. Let's read the story there in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea. And the surrounding country. The people were filled with awe. Jesus and his disciples moved from Capernaum, this town of Camer the city of Capernaum, into this little town called Nain, a smaller village in Galilee, about six miles southwest of Jesus, southeast of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. There's this large crowd following Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus is walking along, and Jesus' popularity is growing and growing. His legend, his legacy is growing and growing. People are hearing about the miracle man. They're hearing about Jesus. They're hearing about the way he taught, and they just want to be around him. They just want to be near him. They just want to spend time with him. And so you've got this huge crowd of people following Jesus. And they're approaching this little town of Nain. And there's a large crowd of mourners who are grieving with this widow 
and she had lost her only son. This woman knows sorrow and grief. She has already lost her husband, and she was dependent upon her only son to take care of her. And then her son passes away, and she has sorrow upon sorrow. Not only is she grieving, not only is she worried, but she, not only is she grieving and sorrow, she is probably worried sick as well. You see, a widow living in the first century would depend on her oldest son to take care of her. She had only one son, and with him gone, this widow had no support system. She would have no kind of social status, no husband, no children, no money. She was in trouble. She was really in trouble, and she was probably very worried. This large crowd of mourners is carrying her son out of the village, probably on what's called a funeral beer, not, not a funeral beer, but a, a, a plank of wood that people that you would lay the body on. And uh, this large crowd following Jesus approaches this scene. And all of these people, and there's all of this noise, and all of this chaos, and in the middle of it are two people. There's a grieving widow and a compassionate Savior. When Jesus sees her, Luke says that his heart went out to her. The New Living Translation says his heart overflowed with compassion. That word compassion is a very powerful word in the Greek. I think I've told you about it before. It's the word splachna. It's my uh, campus minister when I went to Indiana State, Mark Gallagher. His favorite word in the Greek is splachna. It's what he told us when I was a student there. Splachna. Did you say splachna? Splachna. You get it, it's, it's in the back of the throat. There's a little bit of phlegmy spot, and you go splachna. Oh, maybe not that intense, but you know what I mean. Anyway, this word splachna means kind of like what it sounds like. It literally means entrails or guts. That's what splachna means, literally. Now, figuratively, it means compassion. It means to feel compassion, to feel pain, to feel hurt so deeply for someone else that it hurts right here, that it hurts. You all felt that way before? Have you ever heard, met someone, heard their story, gone through something so deeply that it hurts right here? That's splachna, that kind of love that you have for someone that it hurts when they hurt. That's compassion. And that's what Jesus felt when he saw this woman. What an amazing savior this Jesus is. That when he sees this woman in her pain, he doesn't say, oh, well, and say, sorry for your loss. He hurts for her. With compassion, he hurts for her. That's awesome. That is the kind of love that Jesus has for you and me. That is the kind of love that he has for us. That when we hurt, you know, you know that that compassionate love that he has is that same compassionate love that he has for you. That he hurts for you. And he hurts for me. He goes up to her and he says, don't cry. And he reaches out and he breaks ceremonial custom and he touches the funeral beer. And everything stops. The the procession ceased, the crowds quieted, and Jesus spoke. Young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man sits up and he begins to talk. And I'm trying to think, what's the first words out of his mouth? Maybe it was something like, what's that? Guess where I've been? Oh, probably not. But anyway, <laughs> that'd be kind of cool, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> what's that? Anyway, Jesus returns the young man to his mother, and the people are filled with awe, and they praise God. 
Here's a story about a woman named Michelle Attaway. She moved in with her boyfriend, Jay, for a life of drugs and partying. She assumed Jay's parents would turn their back on them in disgust. So it was a bit shocking when Jay and Michelle were instead invited over for dinner. She writes about the events that followed. I was incredulous because I knew that Jay's parents were normal people, the type that crossed to the other side of the street when they saw us. Not only that, Jay told me that they were really religious too. Yet sure enough, we were invited to dinner. And the thought of a good meal eventually convinced me to go. To my surprise, Jay's parents welcomed us warmly into their home. As we sat down to eat, I was painfully aware that my appearance, torn clothing, tattoos, and a dozen body piercings clashed with the elegantly decorated table. Yet his folks treated us with friendly respect, even asking afterward if we'd like to stay and play Scrabble. I was bewildered by their kindness. Over the next few months, Jay's mom continued to contact us. Sometimes she brought over a sack of groceries, or other times she wrote letters that quoted Bible verses saying that she was praying for us. We'd read the letters aloud to our friends and have a good laugh. Your mom must be crazy, I'd chuckle. But the laughter couldn't mask the emptiness I felt inside, and our lifestyle of partying and drug use only got worse. Only once after a week-long drug party, Jay and I became aware of spiritual darkness in our lives. We were very scared and called his parents, who immediately came over with their pastor and some friends. Though we fully expected to receive criticism and disapproval, these church people simply stepped over the trash on the floor, looked past the ugly death on, and skull posters on the wall. We even had a paper bat hanging from the ceiling shoved aside drug paraphernalia, and began counseling us and praying for us. I was deeply touched by their love and acceptance. I'd been stuck in a downward spiral of depression and despair, and when I heard that God could give me a brand new life through Jesus Christ, I bowed my head and turned everything over to him. Equally moved, Jay prayed as well. From that moment, we knew that our lives needed to change. Realizing it wasn't right for us to be living together outside of marriage, Jay proposed to me that very day. After a hippie-style wedding, outdoors and barefooted, Jay and I began attending my in-law's church. I noticed a sharp contrast between our untrustworthy friends and the reliable love of the church members. That was the kind of love I wanted to receive and to show towards others. I joined the, church, the church's women's group, but as the, only unmarried, as the only married teenager, I felt out of place and unable to relate to the ladies. I couldn't understand their excitement over getting out the hot glue gun and making dried flower arrangements. <laughs> Nevertheless, they didn't give up on me. They invited me to weekly Bible studies and fun times at the park. Nearly every day, Jay and I were gifted with some form of love and acceptance from our fellow church members. As we struggled financially, we'd find anonymous checks in the mail or sacks of food on our doorstep. Once, a new set of soft flannel sheets turned up on our front porch. We read our Bibles. We attended a study group. As my relationship with God steadily deepened, I began to yearn for the opportunity to share His love with kids who were troubled as I had once been. So Jay and I began to volunteer with the youth ministry, working with teens living on the streets. Ta talking with those lost kids in their dirty, torn clothing reminded me how, at a needy time in my life, genuine Christian love had looked beyond appearances to a heart that needed Christ. And it cemented my determination to show that same unconditional love to others. Now there are three questions I have. Three questions I have about this passage that I not really about the passage, but these are questions I have for us. 
First, how can we show compassion like Jesus? How can we show love like Jesus? His heart went out to this woman. His heart overflowed with splachna for this woman. When we see others in pain and sorrow and grief, how do we respond? Do we ignore them? Do we move away from them? Do we, do we pass over to the other side and leave them in their pain and their sorrow and their grief? Or does our heart hurt and ache for those who are hurting? Do we do as Romans 12, 15 says and mourn with those who mourn? In our world, we have become incredibly isolated. We're bunkered down in our houses, staring at these uh, television boxes or sitting at the computer. And we've become so isolated. We don't have time for anybody else. We don't have time for anyone else. We don't have time to show love to somebody else. I, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. And I log on to my Facebook page. There are people all around us who are hurting and dying a little bit each day, and they need to know the compassionate love of Jesus. Who will show it to them? Who will demonstrate this love if we won't? we got to do more than just sit in a pew and write out a check and sing a few songs on a Sunday morning. We need to genuinely hurt from right here for the lost sheep of this world, for those who don't know Jesus, for those who are hurting, for those who do know Jesus and who are hurting. Close your eyes for just a minute, okay? This is a, a, a little moment. Of, uh, just close your eyes, okay? Maybe bow your head if you want, but the question I got for you right now, are you hurting? If you're hurting this morning, just raise your hand. Let God know that you're hurting. My eyes are closed. I don't know how many hands, but I got a feeling. I got a sense that there are a lot of hands in the air right now. Are you hurting? Are you in pain? Are you grieving? Okay, put your hands down. You can open your eyes up if you want. Let me, let me pray for you right now. Let me pray for those who are hurting. Our compassionate Father, we hurt. We're in pain. We struggle with grief and sorrow. Our hearts break, it seems, on a regular basis. Lord God, we are hurting. And we need your compassionate love. The love that raised this woman's son from the dead. The love that sent his heart, Jesus' heart out to her. We need that love in our lives. We need your compassion in this moment to remind us that you're in charge, that you're in control, that you see the hurt, that you see the pain, that you know the grief, you know the heartache, and that, Lord God, you care, that you have that compassionate love for us. Thank you, God, for that love. Thank you for your compassion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are widows who are hurting. There are parents who are hurting. There are children who are hurting. There are people who are grieving. They are all around us. So how can we show compassion like Jesus? He went to her. Maybe that's the key right there. He went to her. He went up to her. He didn't wait for her to come to him. He didn't go have a seat and say, okay, you know, I'm over here if you need me. He went to her. Sometimes we just have to walk across a room. We just got to walk across a room say, how you doing? No, how are you really doing? Maybe that's it. 
Just how are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I help heal you? Because I know you're hurting. Show compassion like Jesus. Go to those who are hurting and hurt with those who are hurting. Mourn with those who are mourning. Grieve with those who are grieving. The second question I have for us this morning is, how can we comfort like Jesus? He knew what this woman was going through. He could see her pain. He went to her and had compassion for her, and he comforted her. With two simple words, he comforted her and said, don't cry. With compassion in his heart, with tenderness in his voice, he said, don't cry. Maybe she knew who he was. Maybe she didn't. But Jesus reaches out to comfort her because he cared for her. And one thing I've learned about ministry in, in, the, in the 12 years that I've been doing this, one thing I've learned is it's not always about what you say. Sometimes it's just about being there. I can't tell you how many times I have felt helpless and inadequate when I visit with those who are grieving. But I can't tell you the number of times that someone said to me, thanks for being there. Thanks for just being there. Oftentimes comfort is not about words, but it is about being there. So who can you be there for? Who needs you to comfort them? A family member? A sister? A child? Your spouse? Your friends? A co-worker? A fellow Christian? Who can you be there for today? Who can you comfort by your presence today? 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God we receive comfort from God Paul says so that we can comfort others who needs to be comforted who needs to be comforted I tell you what I got a feeling there were a bunch of hands raised like I said I don't know how many how many hands were up there maybe some of you do you didn't close your eyes you cheated but you might know who needs to be comforted? Throw a rock. You'll hit someone who needs to be... Don't throw a rock. <laughs> but just find someone who needs to be comforted and go to them and comfort them. The last question I want to ask is, how can we heal like Jesus? Now, I don't know anyone who's able to raise the dead, but I know people can heal. I see them right here before me. I'm looking at a room of healers. We can heal with words of love and grace and compassion. Maybe someone needs to be restored. Maybe someone needs to be forgiven. Maybe someone needs words of comfort. Maybe someone needs to know that they are loved. Maybe someone needs Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate healer. He brought ultimate healing from the disease of sin through his death on the cross. He died so that our sins could be forgiven. And if we will believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, we will be saved from our sins. We will be freed from the curse and the sickness of sin. How can we share that healing with others? How can we bring the healing to the broken and the beaten down? How can we bring healing to those who need it most? Jesus, knowing the needs of this woman, loved her, and he helped her, and he healed her. See, it wasn't just about healing her son. It wasn't just about raising the son from the dead. He healed this woman's heart. We have to know the need, which means we have to love others enough to get to know their needs. We have to meet the need. We have to heal the need. And we can do it. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He has given us the power of his Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit's power, leading, and guidance, we can meet needs and we can help heal people. Jesus told the story of compassionate love later on in Luke's gospel. So we, can, we know it as the story of the Good Samaritan. 
You've heard it, maybe. You've heard of Good Samaritans, at least. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Guess what word pity is? He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. How can we be like that good Samaritan? Again, we have to love compassionately. We have to comfort with the comfort we have received and heal the need. That's what it's all about. It's about that compassionate love. I want to challenge you this morning to find one person. To find one hurting person. To be that Samaritan to them. To be Jesus to them. To hurt for them. To love them compassionately. To care for them so deeply that it hurts. Can you find one person? It might be someone in your house. It might be someone at work. It might be someone in here at church. Can you find one hurting person? How are they hurting? And how can you love them even in the midst of their hurt? Can you hurt with them? Can you comfort them? Can you love them compassionately? That's my challenge to you today. Find that one person that needs you. And to love them like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the comfort that we have received through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the, the blessing of knowing him, for the blessing of serving him, for the blessing of being loved compassionately and unconditionally. I pray that now you would help us to, to live up to this challenge, that you would help us to find that one hurting person that needs us to love them and to share Jesus with them and in many different ways. Thank you for this time of, of opening your word and hearing the story of how Jesus loved this woman compassionately. May we love others like he loves us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.